Today in Science from Wired. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off US versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous US China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Spoken Edition of Wired. A Family's Race to Cure a Daughter's Genetic Disease by Erica Check Hayden. One July afternoon last summer, Matt Wilsey distributed small plastic tubes to 60 people gathered in a Palo Alto, California hotel. Most of them had traveled thousands of miles to be here. Now, each popped the top off a bar-coated tube, spat in about half a teaspoon of saliva, and closed the tube. Some massaged their cheeks to produce enough spit to fill the tubes. Others couldn't spit, so a technician rolled individual cotton swabs along the insides of their cheeks, harvested their skin cells, and the valuable DNA inside. One of the donors was Asker Vigelholm, a Danish business developer who had traveled from Copenhagen to be here in a nondescript lobby at the Palo Alto Hilton. Wilsey is not a doctor, and Vigelholm is not his patient, but they are united in a unique medical pursuit. Wilsey's daughter, Grace, was one of the first children ever diagnosed with NGLY1 deficiency. It's a genetic illness defined by a huge range of physical and mental disabilities, muscle weakness, liver problems, speech deficiencies, seizures. In 2016, Vigelholm's son Bertram became the first child known to die from complications of the disease. Early one morning, as Bertram, age four, slept nestled between his parents, a respiratory infection claimed his life, leaving Vigelholm and his wife Henriette to mourn with their first son, Victor. He, too, has NGLY1 deficiency. The night before the spit party, Vigelholm and Wilsey had gathered with members of 16 other families, eating pizza and drinking beer on the hotel patio as they got to know each other. All of them are related to one of the fewer than 50 children living in the world with NGLY1 deficiency. And all of them had been invited by the Wilseys, Matt and his wife Kristen, who in 2014 launched the Grace Science Foundation to study the disease. These families had met through an online support group, but this was the first time they had all come together in real life. Over the next few days in California, every family member would contribute his or own DNA and other biological samples to scientists researching the disease. On Friday and Saturday, 15 of these scientists described their contributions to the foundation. Some studied the NGLY1 gene in tiny worms or flies, while others were copying NGLY1-deficient patients' cells to examine how they behaved in the lab. Nobody knows what makes a single genetic mutation morph into all the symptoms Grace experiences, but the families and scientists were there to find out, 
and maybe even find a treatment for the disease. That search has been elusive. When scientists sequenced the first human genome in 2000, geneticist Francis Collins, a leader of the Human Genome Project that accomplished the fate, declared that it would lead to a complete transformation in therapeutic medicine by 2020. But the human genome turned out to be far more complex than scientists had anticipated. Most disorders, it's now clear, are caused by a complicated mix of genetic faults and environmental factors. And even when a disease is caused by a defect in just one gene, like NGLY1 deficiency, fixing that defect is anything but simple. Scientists have tried for 30 years to perfect gene therapy, a method for replacing defective copies of genes with corrected ones. The first attempts used modified viruses to insert corrected genes into patients' genomes. The idea appeared elegant on paper, but the first U.S. gene therapy to treat an inherited disease for blindness was approved just last year. Now scientists are testing methods such as CRISPR, which offers a far more precise way to edit DNA to replace flawed genes with error-free ones. Certainly, the genetics revolution has made single mutation diseases easier to identify. There are roughly 7,000 with dozens of new ones discovered each year. But if it's hard to find a treatment for common genetic diseases, it's all but impossible for the very rare ones. There's no incentive for established companies to study them. The potential market is so small that a cure will never be profitable, which is where the Wilsies and the rest of the NGLY families come in. Like a growing number of groups affected by rare genetic diseases, they're leapfrogging pharmaceutical companies' incentive structures, funding and organizing their own research in a search of a cure. And they're trying many of the same approaches that Silicon Valley entrepreneurs have used for decades. At 10.30 in a recent Monday morning, Grace is in Spanish class. The delicate eight-year-old with wavy brown hair twisted back into ponytails sits in her activity chair, a maneuverable kid-sized wheelchair. Her teacher passes out rectangular pieces of paper, instructing the students to make name tags. Grace grabs her paper and chews it. Her aide gently takes the paper from Grace's mouth and puts it on Grace's desk. The aide produces a plastic baggie of giant-sized crayons shaped like cylindrical blocks. They're easier for Grace to hold than the standard Crayolas that our public school classmates are using. The other kids have written their names and are decorating their name tags. Are we allowed to draw zombies for the decorations? One boy asks, as Grace mouths her crayons through the baggie. Grace's aide selects a blue crayon, puts it in Grace's hand, and closes her hand over Grace's. She guides Grace's hand, drawing letters on the paper. G-R-A-C-E. Grace lives with profound mental and physical disabilities. After she was born in 2009, her bewildering list of symptoms, weak muscles, difficulty eating, failure to thrive, liver damage, dry eyes, poor sleep, confounded every doctor she encountered. Grace didn't toddle until she was three and still needs help using the toilet. She doesn't speak and, like an infant, still grabs anything within arm's reach and chews on it. Her father wants to help her. The grandson of a prominent San Francisco philanthropist and a successful technology executive, Matt Wilsey graduated from Stanford, where he became friends with the fellow undergraduate who would one day be Grace's godmother, Chelsea Clinton. Wilsey went on to work in the Clinton White House, on George W. Bush's presidential campaign, and in the Pentagon. But it was his return to Silicon Valley that really prepared Wilsey for the challenge of his life. He worked in business development for startups, where he built small companies into multi-million dollar firms. 
He negotiated a key deal between online retailer Zazzle and Disney, and later co-founded the online payments company CardSpring, where he brokered a pivotal deal with First Data, the largest payment processor in the world. He was chief revenue officer at CardSpring when four-year-old Grace was diagnosed as one of the first patients with NGLY1 deficiency in 2013, and when he learned there was no cure. At the time, scientists knew that the NGLY1 gene. At the time, scientists knew that the NGL1 gene makes a protein called N-glycanase, but they had no idea how mistakes in the NGLY1 gene caused the bewildering array of symptoms seen in Grace and other kids with NGLY1 deficiency. Wilsey's experience solving technology problems spurred him to ask scientists, doctors, venture capitalists, and other families what he could do to help Grace. Most advised him to start a foundation, a place to collect money for research that might lead to a cure for NGLY1 deficiency. As many as 30% of families who turn to genetic sequencing receive a diagnosis, but most rare diseases are new to science and medicine, and therefore largely untreatable. More than 250 small foundations are trying to fill this gap by sponsoring rare disease research. They're funding scientists to make animals with the same genetic defects as their children, so they can test potential cures. They're getting patients' genomes sequenced and sharing the results with hackers, crowdsourcing analysis of their data from global geeks. They're making bespoke cancer treatments and starting for-profit businesses to work on finding cures for the diseases that affect them. Start a foundation for NGLY1 research, get it up and running, and then move on with your life. A friend told Wilsey. Wilsey heeded part of that advice, but turned the rest of it on its head. In 2014, Wilsey left Cardstring just before it was acquired by Twitter and started the Grace Science Foundation to fund research into NGLY1 deficiency. The foundation has committed seven million dollars to research since then, most of it raised from Wilsey's personal network. Many other families with sick loved ones have started foundations, and some have succeeded. In 1991, for instance, a Texas boy named Ryan Dent was diagnosed with a fatal muscle wasting disease called mucopolysaccharidosis type 1. His parents raised money to support an academic researcher who was working on a cure for MPS1. A company agreed to develop the drug, which became the first approved treatment for the disease in 2003. But unlike Dent, Grace had a completely new disease. Nobody was researching it. So Wilsey began cold calling dozens of scientists, hoping to convince them to take a look at NGLY1 deficiency. If they agreed to meet, Wilsey read up on how their research might help his daughter. Eventually, he recruited more than 100 leading scientists, including Nobel Prize-winning biologist Shinya Yamanaka and Caroline Bertozzi, to figure out what was so important about N-glycanase. He knew that science was unpredictable, and so distributed Grace Science's funding through about 30 grants worth an average of 135,000 apiece. Two years later, one line of his massively parallel attack paid off. Bertozzi, a world-leading chemist, studies enzymes that add and remove sugars from other proteins, fine-tuning their activity. N-glycanase does just that, ripping sugars off from other proteins. Our cells are not packed with the white sweet stuff that you add to your coffee, but the tiny building blocks of molecules, similar to table sugar, can also attach themselves to proteins inside cells, acting like labels that tell the cell what to do with those proteins. Scientists thought that N-glycanase's main role was to help recycle defective proteins, but many other enzymes are also involved in this process. Nobody understood why the loss of N-glycanase had such drastic impacts on NGLY1 kids. 
In 2016, Bertozzi had an idea. She thought anglycanase might be more than just a bit player in the cell's waste management system, so she decided to check whether it interacts with another protein that turns on the proteasome recycling machine within each of our cells. This protein is nicknamed NERF, after its abbreviation NRF1. But fresh made NERF comes with a sugar attached to its end, and as long as that sugar sticks, NERF doesn't work. Some other protein has to chop the sugar off to turn on NERF and activate the cellular recycling service. Think of NERF's sugar like the pin in a grenade. You have to remove the pin, or in this case, the sugar, to explode the grenade and break down faulty proteins. But nobody knew what protein was pulling the pin out of NERF. Bertozzi wondered if anglycanase might be doing that job. To find out, she first tested cells from mice and humans with and without working copies of the NGLY1 gene. The cells without NGLY1 weren't able to remove NERF sugar, but those with the enzyme did so easily. If Bertozzi added N glycanase enzymes to cells without NGLY1, the cells began chopping off NERF sugar just as they were supposed to. Solid evidence, she thought, that N glycanase and NERF work together. N glycanase pulls the pin, the sugar, out of the grenade, the NERF protein, to trigger the explosion. Boom. The finding opened new doors for NGLY1 disease research. It gave scientists the first real clue about how NGLY1 deficiency affects patients' bodies by profoundly disabling their ability to degrade cellular junk via the proteasome. As it turns out, the proteasome is also involved in a whole host of other diseases, such as cancer and brain disorders, that are far more common than NGLY1 deficiency. We'll see immediately grasp the business implications. He had taken a moonshot, but he discovered something that could get him to Mars. Pharmaceutical companies had declined to work on NGLY1 deficiency because they couldn't make money from a drug for such a rare disease. But Bertozzi had now linked NGLY1 deficiency to cancer and maladies such as Parkinson's disease through the proteasome, and cancer drugs are among the most profitable medicines. Suddenly, Wilsey realized that he could invent a new business model for rare diseases. Work on rare diseases, he could argue, could also enable therapies for more common and therefore profitable conditions. In early 2017, Wilsey put together a slide deck, the same kind he'd used to convince investors to fund his tech startups. Only this time, he wanted to start a biotechnology company focused on curing diseases linked to NGLY1. Others had done this before, such as John Crowley, who started a small biotechnology company that developed the first treatment for Pompe disease, which two of his children have. But few have been able to link their rare diseases to broader medical interests in the way that Wilsey hoped to. He decided to build a company that makes treatments for both rare and common diseases involving NGLY1. Curing NGLY1 disease would be to this company as searches to Google. The big problem it was trying to solve, its reason for existence. Treating cancer would be like Google's targeted advertising, the revenue stream that would help the company get there. But his idea had its skeptics, Wilsey's friends among them. One, a biotechnology investor named Kush Palmer, told Wilsey about some major obstacles to developing a treatment for NGLY1 deficiency. Wilsey was thinking of using approaches such as gene therapy to deliver corrected NGLY1 genes into kids or enzyme replacement therapy to infuse kids with the N glycanase enzyme they couldn't make on their own. But NGLY1 deficiency seems particularly damaging to cells in the brain and central nervous system, Palmer pointed out, places that are notoriously inaccessible to drugs. 
It's hard to cure disease if you can't deliver the treatment to the right place. Others warned Wilsey that most biotech startups fail, and even if he did succeed as a company, it might not achieve the goals that he wanted it to. Ken Drazen, president of the cancer diagnostic company Grail, is on the board of directors of Wilsey's foundation. Drazen warned Wilsey that his company might be pulled away from NGLY1 deficiency. If you take people's capital, then you have to be open to wherever that product development takes you, Drazen said. But Wilsey did have some things going for him. Biotechnology companies have become interested of late in studying rare diseases, ones like the type of blindness for which the gene therapy was approved last year. If these treatments represent true cures, they can command a very high price. Still, the newly approved gene therapy for blindness may be used in 6,000 people, 100 times more than could be helped by an NGLY1 deficiency cure. Wilsey asked dozens of biotechnology and pharmaceutical companies if they would work on NGLY1 deficiency. Only one, Takeda, Japan's largest drug company, agreed to conduct substantial early-stage research on the illness. Others turned him down flat. If no one else was going to develop a drug to treat NGLY1 deficiency, Wilsey decided he might as well try. We have one shot at this, he says. Especially if your science is good enough, why not go for it? Matt was showing classic entrepreneurial tendencies, says Dan Levy, the vice president for small business at Facebook, who has known Wilsey since they rushed the same Stanford fraternity in the 1990s. You have to suspend a little bit of disbelief, because everything is stacked against you. At 11 a.m., Gray sits in a classroom with a speech therapist. Though Grace doesn't speak, she's learning to use her talker, a tablet-sized device with icons that help her communicate. Grace grabs her talker and presses the icons for play and music, then presses a button to make her talker read the words out loud. Okay, play music, her therapist says, starting up a nearby iPod. Grace watches an Elmo video on the iPad for a few minutes, her forehead crinkled in concentration, her huge brown eyes a carbon copy of her dad's. Then Grace stops the video and searches for another song. Suddenly, her therapist slides the iPad out of Grace's reach. You want slippery fish, her therapist says. I want you to tell me that. Grace turns to her talker. Play music, she types again. The therapist attempts one more time to help Grace say more clearly which particular song she wants. Instead, Grace selects the symbols for two new words. Feel mad, Grace's talker declares. There's no denying how frustrating it can be for Grace to rely on other people to do everything for her, and how hard her family works to meet her constant needs. Matt and Kristen could provide the therapy, equipment, medicines, and around-the-clock supervision that Grace needs to have a stable life. But that is not enough, not for Grace, who wants slippery fish, nor for her parents, who want a cure. So last summer, Wilsey raised money to bring the Wilhelms and the other NGLY1 families to Palo Alto, where they met with Grace's doctors and the Grace Science Foundation researchers. One Japanese scientist, Takayuki Kamei, was overjoyed to meet two of the NGLY1 deficiency patients. I say hello to their cells every morning, he told their parents. And because all of these families also want a cure, each also donated blood, skin, spit, stool, and urine to the world's first NGLY1 deficiency biobank. In four days, scientists collected more NGLY1 deficiency data than had been collected in the entire five years since the disease was discovered. 
These patient samples, now stored at Stanford University and Rutgers University, have been divvied up into more than 5,000 individual samples that will be distributed to academic and company researchers who wish to work on NGLY1 deficiency. That same month, we'll see close a seed round of $7 million to start Grace Science LLC. His main backer, a veteran private equity investor, prefers not to be named. Like many in Silicon Valley, he's recently become attracted to healthcare by the promise of a so-called double bottom line, the potential to both make money and to do good by saving lives. We'll see as chief executive of the company and heavily involved in its scientific strategy. He's looking for a head scientist with experience in gene therapy and an enzyme replacement therapy, which Mark Dant and John Crowley used to treat their sick children. Gene therapy now seems poised to take off after years of false starts. Candidate cures for blood and nervous system disorders are speeding through clinical trials, and companies that use CRISPR have raised more than $1 billion. Wolsey doesn't know which of these strategies, if any, will save Grace, but he hopes his company will find an NGLY1 deficiency cure within five years. The oldest known NGLY1 deficient patient is in her 20s. But since nobody has been looking for these patients until now, it's impossible to know how many others, like Bertram, didn't make it that long. We don't know what Grace's lifespan is, Wilsey says. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. But at 3 p.m. on this one November day, that doesn't seem to matter. School's out, and Grace is seated atop a light chestnut horse named Ned. Five staff members lead Grace through a session of equine therapy. Holding herself upright on Ned's back helps Grace develop better core strength and coordination. Grace and Ned walk under a canopy of oak trees. Her face is serene, her usually restless legs still as Ned paces through late afternoon sunshine. But for little Grace, there may be a cure for her yet. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more— and they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. 